Age is just a number. I, I, I would have to agree with you, you know. Well, lovely, well, lovely. follow me down, deep down, well, lovely. Hi, and welcome back to Where Love Lives with me, Lula LaVey. A month has gone by. Where does the time go? Honestly, I have no idea. This is the sixth episode of the podcast, which means it has now been running for six months. I really can't quite believe it. Last month, I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing sound system divas, or queens, should I say, Nazinga Sounds. If you missed this, do go back and listen again, as it really was quite special. This month, however, I was able to entice into the slick studios at Soho Radio, Boogie Chanteurs, Amy Douglas, who is over from Brooklyn, New York, do you like my American accent? That's bad, wasn't it? To launch her new project, Hard Feelings, with Hot Chips, Joe Goddard. Since recording the interview, the album has smashed accolades all over the shop, including Six Music's album of the week. Congratulations, it's absolutely brilliant, which, to be honest, is no big surprise. It's a modern slice of sleazy bathhouse disco. Just imagine Donna Summer having a roll around with Giorgio Moroder, and you're almost there. Amy is a very interesting person, as well as being an amazing singer and performer, but she's also a very talented songwriter. She has written songs for Roisin Murphy. In fact, my favourite track on Roisin's last album was written by Amy, called Something More, and Amy has also worked with disco giants Horsemeat Disco. So do go to the show blurb to check her out, but be warned, her vocals might just smash your windows. This interview meanders a bit all over the place, as Amy is such an interesting person to talk to, but we do discuss the things she loves eventually. We mainly talk about her love of sex, but primarily in the way she represents her sexuality through her social media images, which, without over-intellectualising it too much, I think is a form of feminist activism. I have to admit, after looking at the images before the interview when I was researching, I did have some judgments of my own about them, which I did spend some time examining, and I really feel this discussion helps provide some context. A bit like the blurb at an exhibition when you feel you need a bit of guidance to understand a piece of work, it's like that. Aside from loving her sexuality and herself, go on Amy, she also shares her deep love for Lizzo and a range of hugely talented women who have paved the way for unique artists such as herself. So despite straying a bit from the usual format, this interview is hugely engaging, so prepare yourself to get intimate with, as I call her, Bette Midler on acid, Amy Douglas. Of course, if you like this podcast, please do review, subscribe, like, and all that jazz, as it means a lot to me. Enjoy the show. Well, lovely, follow me down, deep down, well, lovely. So today, I can't believe we're so lucky to have Amy Douglas in the house. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? How you doing? How you doing? I'm so lucky to be here. How are you? You're looking wonderful, as always. Oh, look who's talking, Miss Awesome Leather Skirt. There. Uh, vegan leather. That's what I like to call it. V- leather. It- I wonder if there's vagleather. That's good. Vagleather. You're, you're very. You are a wordsmith, aren't you? They sure. I could. I, they, you know, I do it for a living. So I, well, I, I, I hope so. Well. I hope so. I hope so. So you've been in town. Well, congratulations, because the Hard Feelings album is out today. It is. At awesome. time of recording. Yes. So you guys out there will probably hear this a little bit after the album came out. So you've probably been all over it, listened to it already. How do you feel about the album coming out today? Oh my god. I've been trying to like figure that out all day long, and 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 the thing I always describe it as is like intense birth, which is of course something I have not experienced physically, but you know you're you're sending life off into the world, and and, and songs are my children, so it feels like we gave birth to something really really intense. So you must be really happy with the product. I am. I I I think this is it's a turning point in my life as an artist. I can't begin to tell you how proud I am of what Joe and I have accomplished. And so you had like a launch party the other night in Dalston yes. at Brilliant we Corners. We did, we so did. How was that? Tell me about that because I wasn't there. That was amazing. That was and, and and pardon the frogginess, but I feel like something's going around in your country. And ever since I landed, I've been. Like, oh, I know the lurgy. I've, I've avoided Ooh, it. So far. Yeah, I mean it's it's landing in my it, it's landing. Um, so it was a beautiful evening. It was very intimate. And I feel like we got to show, Joe and I got to really show the inner workings of two very different minds. 
and how we made this album. So he got to hear you through the DFA release. Correct. So then what? So how did you two kind of get together? And, and tell me about that. It, it, he, he reached out on Twitter. On Twitter? That's very modern. And very unlike Joe, because Joe doesn't really do the social media thing. I would have thought you had lots of mutual friends, wouldn't you? Well, we do. It, it, we have a lot of mutual friends. But one morning I woke up. And always a good way to start your day. And I, I <laughs> and and there was this message from Joe. Hey, Amy, can we can we do something? And I just remember thinking, I didn't smoke anything this morning, and I know that's Joe Goddard of Hot Chip. Yes, we will definitely be making things. Yeah. And, and and subsequently, here we are. Do you want to sing a little bit of a song? Oh God, be really nice. Mm, well, I'm I'm trying to say my voice and I'm a little froggy oh, okay. right now. But um, what do you do to say like to protect your voice? Do you like does whiskey help? Oh uh, no, whiskey does not help. Whiskey only lowers your nerves. If anything, it's very mm. stringent and bad. What do I do? I, I be quiet and I sleep and I do honey and I lubricate and I do. Yeah. But yes, I mean I could sing. Wait, is this is this actually going to be kept? Or I don't know. <laughs> it might be. I don't know. <laughs> Um, you don't have to sing. I'm oh, just yeah. like, you know. Stay for the day if you want to be loved. You sound really good. On You've got a lovely voice, speaking thank you. voice. Oh, well, thank you so much. When did you realise you could sing? I know you sing and you write, but when did you know that you could sing? When I was six years old, I had this amazing music teacher in my elementary school. And now you would think she would have just kind of come up to me and been like, you know, you can really sing. But she didn't do that. She wrote a letter to my mom. And it said something along the lines of, you need to take your child, decide, have her sing for you. I think you're going to be really surprised with the results. And in addition to all of it, she's she's got something. She's just got something. So <clears throat> She wrote a letter. She didn't... Was there no, why didn't she not just... I know. Why didn't she call? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she was real old-fashioned or mm. something. But my mom read that letter, and I came home from school one day, and I were in the kitchen, and she said, Amy, sing something for me. And I went, why? <laughs> she goes, oh, I don't know, just, just, just do it. You're always listening to records all day long in the house. Let's see what you, see what you picked up. Ironically, and I could never have known this at the time, especially considering like I'm a nostalgia freak, and I was raised by a bunch of nostalgia freaks, I was like, I don't know why, but I, I sung Dim All the Lights by Donna Summer. Um, How old were you? I was, I was really young. I was six. Wow. And I don't know what made me pick that other than the fact that I worshipped Donna Summer. And oh, I remember why. Because for some reason, my mom had a videotape of the 1980s television special that she had done. And my mom used to play it all the time. Of course, so you learned it off that then. So yeah. I looked at, well, first and foremost, I look at this creature, Donna Summer, and I'm like... Holy moly, you're beautiful, you're gorgeous, you're glamorous, you're the greatest singer I've ever heard. I want to wear everything you wear. I want to look like you. I want to be like you. I want to do everything like you. And of course, you know, as a child, you don't learn the boundaries of life, so your attitude is, that's the goal. There it is. So I sang Dim All the Lights for my mom, and my mom dropped an entire stack of dishes on the floor, and there was a meeting at the school, and I began... Music, That's amazing. Music but did training. you actually know yourself? I mean, it's so instinctive, isn't it? Did, you probably didn't realise you had a good voice no. until much later. I, I didn't. I was just obsessed. I was the kid obsessed with music. I was a weird kid. I didn't like dolls. I didn't really even dig toys. I liked books and I loved albums. And because I had a musical grandmother who was a pianist, I also have a... I actually come from a musical family. My, my great-grandmother was an, a tremendous pianist. My grandmother was a really great pianist. She was my first piano teacher, and she taught me. So all day long, she also used to, when I would visit, you know, I lived with my grandmother in Queens until I turned five, and she'd play records, like, all day, and usually opera. Wow. But my grandmother was an opera fanatic, especially Lily Pons. I know how to read music. I went and got a degree in jazz theory and composition because... I got to this place where I was in my teenagers where I decided that, like, Quincy Jones was the top of the line. He was the apex. It was sort of like, there is nothing this man has not done that he has not been the best at. The best artist on a trumpet. And part of the original story, no less. A man who's arranging, made the Nelson Riddle Orchestra better. A man who produced great records. A man who, from the Brothers Johnson to Michael Jackson to Frank Sinatra, whoever. I mean... 
it was like, there is nothing I don't do. There's nothing I'm not the hippest at. There's nothing I'm not the best at. I could do Sanford Sons theme song, The Palm Broker, one minute. And I can turn around and give you Thrill of the Next. Or The Dude, which is, oh, it, and that, that, that album is crazy. So you really embrace loads of different genres, basically. But you're, aren't you fundamentally from like a more rock background? Oh, well, it's, the way I like to describe myself is that first and foremost, I'm a singer-songwriter who hates genres. Okay, that's good. I can dig that. I hate quite like that. I hate them. Beyond genre. Well, I just think I actually find genres to be the a, a very, dare I say it, a very separatist. It's a bit binary, isn't it? Well, it's it's worse than binary. It's it's actually almost racist and homophobic and misogynist. It's it's just it's a separatist attitude. Anytime that you declare yourself a thing that sets you apart from another thing, you got a problem. Mm. Music is not meant to do that. Music is meant to galvanize and bring together. Yeah, I totally so, agree with you. So first and foremost, that. But the but but if I must speak in those terms, what I always say is that I've got the head of a jazz musician. Jazz is a very very big part of my background. That and the addiction to the great songwriting masters, whether they were Tin Pan Alley or whether they were the the masters of of the jazz fake and or real book. That's a big part of it. I have the heart, in the heart, I'm a rocker. That is absolutely true. Who's like, do you look to as the best songwriter? Oh God, are you kidding? That's, in, oh. is that just too many to choose from? Where do I begin and how many can I have? And, and I, I mean, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, when I think of like interesting songwriters, I think of Dolly Parton. She's a goddess and one of the greatest to ever mm. live. And I cry when I think of, she's one of them. Oh God, okay. Mm. She's is, one of them. Okay. This is going to be big. I'm just going to throw a lot of names mm-hmm. and they're not going to have a lot to do with each other except that they wrote. Well, that doesn't matter. Okay. So my favorite songwriters, of course, Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Of course, that goes with Stevie Wonder, Duke Ellington, George Gershwin, Cole Porter, um, Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, the Beach Boys, anything Brian Wilson ever touched. Uh, obviously, all the Brill Building masters with whom are my masters, Carol King, I love Carol King. She's Valerie Simpson. Mm. Um, Holland Dozier, Holland Smokey Robinson. Um, what makes a good songwriter then? Do you think? What is it? What What makes a good song? Even I know these are kind of big questions, no, but like, is no, it these just are good too? Questions. No, these are good questions. I mean, how do you know? When and you're... I wasn't even done with all the good songwriters. I could. Uh, I mean, oh man, okay. I could go and, buy, and Dolly Parton and and Johnny Cat. I mean, I, I mm. mean, like, Willie Nelson. Oh, yeah. We got to give more props to Willie because people forget that that man wrote crazy. And I think I would have just about given mm-hmm. my spleen to have written crazy. Um, that song is crazy. Uh, it's so perfect. So what makes a great songwriter? I think that a great songwriter understands how to take the language of the universe and condense it down into something everybody understands and can memorize immediately. I think that that is ultimate, and and all, and when I mean memorize immediately, I don't just mean like something as rudimentary as na 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 na, hey hey hey, goodbye. People are like, that's good songwriting. That's genius songwriting, because you're gonna pick that out in five seconds. And it kind of sounds simple, but it's not. It's kind of the process to get it to that simplicity. And then by converse, you know, you've got a guy like Billy Strayhorn who wrote Lush Life when he was 16 years old as an audition piece to go join Duke Ellington's band. Now, when I think about the fact that a 16-year-old wrote something that is so compositionally dense and intense and with these lyrics that suggest a much older man, that's proof of what I'm talking A great songwriter doesn't have an age limitation, doesn't have a, a gender limitation. It's, the, it's a human being that can reach out into the universe and feel the vibrations that say, this is the human experience and I can tell the story of that in a way and you will remember it for the rest of your life. Do you think being, does maturity make you a better songwriter or not? Like experience and wisdom? Well, experience, yes. Obviously, something happened to Billy Strayhorn. He couldn't have turned it out at 16. Um, It's, you know, no. I would say maturity, no. Experience, obviously, because experience is the gasoline of the song. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. No, but it's like any kind of like writing or creative output. It has to come from some kind of inner experience. Oh, sure. That's where it comes from, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I totally understand that. Are you a big critic of yourself? So do you, when you kind of write a song and you listen to it again, or how's what's your process? Are you self-critical or do you just... Love everything you do. Oh, God, no. Nobody loves everything. No, I was going to say, I don't know. Maybe you do. I I, I don't know. I'm trying to find... Well, I mean, in my case, I'm a perpetual writer, so I'm always writing something. Mm. My process is to never stop writing. I don't stop. I don't have, like, some people are like, like Dolly Parton, for example, she has what she refers to as her God space. This is a demarcated space that she, you know, kind of like marries off for the purpose of songwriting. I don't do that. I write music pretty much. I I think I've even probably written music asleep. I'm always writing something. There's always some melody kicking around in my brain. There's always an idea kicking around. So how do you uh, log it or like make a note of it? If you're, I mean, how do you remember it? If if you're not near something to write with or record with? Well, I have a photographic memory. Uh Uh-huh. Do you? Yeah. I have a photographic memory and that's also when you enable that with this thing um, that I have called Perfect Pitch, which gives me the ability to hear a note, tell you what it is, play a song pretty quick, even if I don't know it mm. very intimately. What I like to do is, I, obviously, I have a studio in my home, so I live in it. I'm a studio rat. It's one of the reasons Joe and I, I think we're so able to do this. We're both studio people. We live in our studios. So that is where I tend to put things I've written lyrics on napkins. That's very Dolly Parton. Yep. That sort of thing she would do. <laughs> oh, yes, she would. Yeah. Oh, yes, she would. She's got a photographic memory, too. Mm. Oh, yeah. Has she? Do you think she has? Is that fact? I don't think you could write a song. No. Like The Coat of Many Colors without one. Yeah. That one kills. What's your favourite Dolly Parton song? The Coat of Many Colors. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Back through the years I go wondering once again to the seasons of my youth I recall a box of rags that someone gave us And how my mama put the rags to use There were rags of many colours But every piece was Jesus Lord. She's a storyteller, isn't she? One of the finest, one of the mm. finest, I mean... She she is part of the American songbook. That's just the way it is. Dolly Parton is, in my estimation, up there with the finest that ever will be. One of the fine and an underrated musician, by yeah. the way. It's like she's such a great singer. She's such a great songwriter. People forget what a badass banjo player, she, a guitarist. She plays the flute as well, doesn't she, she? I think she also plays fiddle. Wow. I mean, she... My favorite album of hers is called Little Sparrow. I mean, it's her bluegrass album where she does the cover of Stairway to Heaven. It's too much goodness. And then, of course, you really want too much goodness. Trio, her, Emmylou Harris, and Linda Ronstadt, that project where they all sing together and they sound like the angels coming down from the heavens. Oh, Lordy. So she had, I mean, she had quite a tough time coming up in the industry in the beginning. What's your experiences been like in the industry so far? Has it been problematic in any way for you? Well... I think this is where I'll drop gloves and say, unless you got a twig and berry, this ain't no world for any of us now, is it? I'm a woman in the music industry. There are films, there are pieces of art devoted to what it is like to be a woman in the entertainment industry, none of which, of course, serve as cautionary tales, and sadly, none of which change the game until women stand up and bodily kick our way into situations. Has it all been fun and games for me? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. But what happens is this. You learn how to find your way to fight. You find your way to deflect. You separate yourself. You you know, I mean, I remember reading, like, Beyonce's got that alter ego, Sasha Fierce, Mm -hmm. for example. Mm. I think all women have an alter ego. I think even Mm. somebody like Wendy O. Williams (laughs) had an alter ego. We all have to look to it because if we don't, You know, I I think that we lose part of ourselves. We lose part of ourselves because we, sadly, always have to do the most bargaining with our own personal industry and our own personal souls just to get noticed. So do you have an alter ego? What's yours? The funny thing is, is that I'm not sure my alter ego is a female. I'm not sure. Oh, well, that's even more interesting. Yeah, I... I don't know if I have an alter ego so much as that when I walk into every situation, I always want to feel like Clint Eastwood in The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. I'm not here to be a queen. That's something I want to make clear. A lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, you're such a glamorous Stevens. And if, they, if you knew my story, 
Ain't no DV. I'm the one in the band they used to shove under the Astro van because I could fit to see if the fuel line was leaking. So, ain't no diva. I used to sleep in a van. I know what it is to live on coffee and beef jerky. I know what it is to nearly die for this, and I would change no differently. But they ain't, I ain't no, this ain't no glamour profession. Maybe it is for other people. Well, people look at it from the outside, and they think it's Sure, glamorous. they, think it's, a, they yeah. think it's just lovely. But it well, isn't, obviously. I would say this. I mean, where others may have wanted to be a queen, I wanted to be an assassin. Oh, I like that. Are you a I, disco assassin? Uh, no, nah, I'm just an assassin. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, this disco thing... It's only now that I'm even really figuring out what that means for me and how I wanted to shape that and create new lexicon moving forward. And, and that's something I'll, I'll talk about later there that I feel very strongly about. But assassin, lethal, you don't want to ever find yourself in a dark alley with me for fear that I would rearrange your face with my big mm. toe. Wow, I'm slightly scared of you now. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> You know, slightly be, something tell um, are you kidding me you'd be my second who are you kidding me? You'd be my second in a bar fight i know all about you oh my god that's like lulu levey yeah I, I heard you throw down i thought you throw you throw you put hands i know about you no i don't i heard that's those stories true. i'm just kidding i know you are oh my god i was just worried like no, who, but who's told you something i think i think the me. point is yeah but i recognize i recognize a, a, a fellow fighter well yeah i mean i think Christ, like the, the creative process has to come from that. I don't really know. I don't know you very well. I don't know you at all. But from my experience, like I've been a fighter all my life. But you sing and you write songs. I don't. I have other ways. So we both have to have a creative output. And I really feel bad for people who don't have that. Mm. What do they do if they have nowhere to put it? Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I, I, that's a really good point, though. It's I mean, kind of... if you don't have an outlet for your pain... You know, I mean, I think this is probably one of the reasons why therapy doesn't really work on me. It's because my attitude is I don't necessarily get the same bomb and Gilead talking my problems to a stranger that I do just sitting and talking them out with myself at the piano. Therapy is, is, is whatever works for you that doesn't kill you and doesn't harm others. So music is your therapy. Music is my blood. Yeah. Music is the only reason I'm alive. What would happen if that was taken away from you? Well, I know what it was like for Thomas taken away. You do? What happened? I had a near-death experience three years ago. In oh. fact, the making of Hard Feelings and the beginning of my coming out of this has all been that. I, I, well, tell me about that. That sounds kind of frightening. It was. Um, if well, you don't mind me asking, that is. Well, I mean, I'm, I don't want to get into gory details. No, but, no, no. You don't have to. But it was, okay. ha it was harrowing and, 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 and very, very bad. And it was like one of the worst types of ways to go down. I'm so sorry. That is not cancer. But here I am. Music, once again, I do remember, however, like literally telling the team of doctors that saved me, I'm like, if I ain't going to wake up from this or if like I'm going to wake up from this and not sing, don't bother because that's no life. That's existence. I'm not here to just exist. I'm here to live. So so the writing of this new album, that helped you get out of this, this place that you were in? Well, more to the, even more like, so as I was coming out of the worst of this, I had a hit single on DFA Records. And that's what brought me to the attention of Joe. So this single, it was called... I have to put my glasses on. Never Saw It Coming? That's it, yeah. Which is really great. Thank you. Way. Oh, thank you so much. I wrote that one with Tim. Yeah, and that's got that kind of sort of sleazy, kind of like, like bathhouse kind of groove, hasn't it? made me think of oh thank you i mean the, the funny thing is is like no, tim's gonna love this when tim and i worked on that and wrote that together the first thing we thought of is because we're like jazz nerds and we kind of think of ourselves as being like a modern weird cracktacular brooklyn steely dan is we looked at each other cracktacular cracktacular oh my god i'm gonna steal that i love that um <laughs> and i and and we kind of were like anybody ever do anything like a blues in dance music we've heard gospel to death but what about a blues the closest I can think of is that one by Moby. Oh, I got my trouble oh, yeah, so yeah. hard. And that's still even, I mean, it has blues structure, but it's still more gospel. I meant like a traditional blues. And we were like, let's see if we can write one. 
and let's make it about revenge. Good blues stuff. Because you know what? You sound a bit like. Have you heard of a band called Electribe 101? Yes. So it's you really sound like Billy Ray Martin oh, and Alison Moyer. I, I, I love. Oh God, I mean, no, oh, I love Alison Moyer. Alison Moyer is is a goddess to me. She's... But I could hear a bit of both. I mean, you have your own style, obviously, but there was definitely a bit of both. I mean, Electro One Hundred One were awesome. If, if I may be honest, I think the reason you might be Moyerizing. Look what I did there. So much do I love you, Alison Moyer. I have made your last oh. name a verb. To Moyerize. I have Moyerized. I will Moyerize. Um, it's really not the vocals you're responding to that reminiscent of Yaz. It's really the production. Right. It's, okay. it's, it's Tim's Vince Clark-isms. Ah, right. Got it. Yeah. But those percolating synths. That's what it is. It's a re- re-emerging sound. It's very kind of quite sort of very sultry and sexy and kind of groovy and just you, Thank you. you can't and you can't help but feel it through your body. Oh, I that's really... what it feels like when you listen to it. I truly appreciate that. And that's definitely kind of a theme that comes through a lot of your writing. Would you say there are a few themes that come through my writing? Obviously, lust, seduction, sex. You can hear it. You can the feel bi- it. It's a it's a big fave. Well, lovely. Obviously, this podcast is Where Love Lives. And yes. your first love that you've picked is sex. It is. So this is definitely <laughs> part of your, part of, I mean, it's part of all of us. We're all sexual beings. But God, I mean, you so. can hear it through your music. And it's like, so tell, so tell us about this. I mean, you know, without being too obvious, you've picked it. Why have you picked it? Well, I mean, sex is something that I've often found power in. And power with, um, and and there are those who would criticize me for that. And you know. why would people criticize you for that? Oh, you know there are a lot of diehard feminists who will tell you that you know sex should never be weaponized, and we shouldn't use our sexuality to gain fervor or to advance or whatever, or use it. And I say, fully. First of all, I hate modern feminism anyway. I think but that's just a way for feminists. Yeah, post-feminists no. won't. The post-feminists oh, don't I, say yeah, that. Yeah, I was just going to say no, but I mean, you'd be surprised. I know some real. I know some people just always going to take issue with it, but me, I've, I've always found power in my own sexuality. And admittedly, my sexuality is a bit of an overgrown plant that needs a lot of room. And, and, and it's sort of like, oh God, it, it's an ever-feeding thing. I have a very high amount of sexual energy and a high sex drive. I'm a very demanding lover. I, it's also, and if anything, I'm kind of here to tell women, you know, get yours the way you want it. Because there's a distinction between finding strength in your sexual power and weaponizing it so that you feel strong and taking your sexual power and commodifying it to fit somebody else's belief of what they think is powerful for you. That's different. Now, if you've ever been to my social media... I've seen, I've looked at your social media. Well, the thing is... Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, damn, I can't believe all the things you do. I can't believe all, you know, you're like the queen of thirst trapping, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but the distinction is nobody told me to do that. For the listeners who may not be aware, do you want to kind of describe maybe what's on your social media image-wise? Sure. And um, when I, first of all, I, I want to start by saying I hate social media. I don't Home like we it. all. <laughs> you know, we all say we hate it and uh, then we don't take it away. No, we still use it. So it's like, I don't like So I had an ex-manager who said, Amy... You don't know how to use Instagram. You don't know what you're doing and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry if I'm just not really one of those people who think it's real popping and like show pictures of my pancakes. When the stories function came, I thought, ah, okay. I don't do anything, nothing, unless I feel I can bring something to it that is artful, elevated, and meaningful. And when I saw that story, I was like, flip it, almost like a magazine, like a zine. So I thought, I'm going to create a Frankenzine. A nerdy music magazine, a cultural, maybe even like a humorous parody magazine in maybe the style Mad Magazine or the National Lampoon, Crawdaddy. I'm a nostalgia freak, so like I really, really love yesteryear magazines. This is a culture. So what I wanted to do was take my social media and create a culture around myself. And when my manager was like, yeah, but image, 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 I went, okay. Well, for me, there were posters that came with those zines. I'll be my own centerfold. I'll do this by my hand. No man will tell me what to do. I will make myself 
the narrator of the story, the editor of the magazine, and my own centerfold. And that'll be my social media world. And I'm a body creature. I come from rock. You know, rock and roll. I mean, you show me like a rock and roll singer ain't willing to like literally take it all off on stage, light themselves with fire and light themselves on stage. And I'll tell you, you got a punk loser. You know, it's Iggy Pop or nothing for me. You know, Iggy Pop is rock and roll. Pure. So it's interesting how it's kind of like it's it's okay for kind of men to take their clothes off. Oh, Women do. Oh, they're either like put it back on or take it off. You can't oh, win. I was getting there. I was getting to that. Mm. And that was another statement I was trying to make. I was like, you know, I'm really over all this nonsense. Like Jim Morrison topless and beatific and gorgeous and a god with his shirtlessness and Aerosmith and every rock band prince. shirtless but pr- Prince I'm gonna get to that in a minute Prince I actually used in a quote with another journalist that I told off I had to take somebody down mm-hmm. and I will take a bitch down if I got to and bitch for me has no gender I got tired of this and I was like I'm gonna do this by my own hand now I'm not a gl- I-, I love glamour but it comes through, even though I love old Hollywood glamour. And I, for me, it's more glam rock. I, I like scrap. I like trash. I like when something is not perfect. I like high, low. I like rock and roll edginess. And I come from that, so I thought, okay, I'll be that. Now, even when I am posing around in next to nothing and what, in my mind, I'm always Steven Tyler. In my mind, I'm, in my mind, I'm always that. I'm not Samantha Fox. I'm not a page three. I'm not a centerfold in penthouse. I'm not. I'm Stephen fucking Tyler. That's who I am in my mind. That's what gives me my power. So if I'm standing there in a bikini and y'all and, and whoever's watching it is like, whatever they get out of it, that's fine. That's entertainment. That's what I'm here for. I'm not a disingenuous person. I'm, I'm there for that. At the time that I really changed my image and started doing that, a journalist came to me and said, do you feel considering we know you as a singer-songwriter, that this is going to make people, I don't take you less seriously. And I said, you know, I bet a motherfucker never asked Prince that question. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what has the feedback been like to these images? Because they're quite racy and a bit pornographic, a little bit. Oh, a little. Oh, they are. Oh, a little bit, maybe. Okay, well, oh, but that's okay. Like you know, well, that's like... what that. That's how I've read them. So, what has the response been like? Well, first and foremost, I want to say pornography is positive. I didn't say absolutely. No, 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 no. I mean, I know that there are a lot of people they they think of the word pornography and immediately it's like ah, you know it's like each their own. Some people don't. Some people do. Pornography should not just necessarily connotate sex trade. Pornography means anything that requires the viewer to have to, I guess, prepare for its viewership. I mean, shit, I've seen a lot of people do a whole lot of pornographic stuff with their clothes on. So pornography for me is is more a, a mindset thing. And I love pornography. I really do. And I actually respect pornography. Because pornographers are willing to go out there and fight First Amendment right laws that protect all artists in ways that sometimes are forgotten about. And sure, there are those who say, but it's exploitative. But everything in life is exploitative. I hate to say it, feminist bitches. Exploitation is happening the minute a doctor spanked you on the ass and declared you a girl child. You got a Barry jo- Judith Butler. I was just like, you got a job? You went on a job interview, right, to get that job. Guess what you just did? So how, going back to these images, Okay. So how, how, the re- how, what's what, the reaction been like? It's actually been really amazing, to be honest with you. Um, well, obviously, there is the obvious. Uh, what about the critics? Have you had some critics? You know, I, I've had some, but not as many as I really w- was worried about. Okay, that's interesting. I was worried. Oh, I was. I mean, like, the first Mm. time I ever put up a a photo of myself like that, considering that nobody had ever seen me like that. The first time I did that, all I thought to myself was, if I can survive 24 hours without the shame police, you know, body image police, Mm. Mm. woman police, age police, police police, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Stuart Copeland, Annie Summer, and and Stinger coming for me. And I mean, like, any police. Mm. If I can survive 24 hours, I'm going to be good. And that was all I kept thinking about. I was like, just survive, just survive, ease into this. And besides, there's so much. It's a sea, it's billions of people. Nobody will notice. 
That I was wrong about. <laughs> they did notice. Oh, they noticed. Oh, Lord have mercy, they noticed. And look, I've seen the positive that it's done. I've seen the negative that it's done. The negative is that it dismantled a lot of my personal relationships. It did? What happened? What, you lost some oh, I lost... friends, colleagues? Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I, I, well, I didn't lose friends. That sounds no- a bit extreme. A lot of extreme things have happened as a result of these Really? What's, what's happened? Oh, well, let's see. There's the extreme positive and the extreme negative. The extreme positive is really what I'd rather focus on. Okay. Because the extreme negative is is just typical tawdry shit. You know, your DMs fill up with dick pics. Um, oh, man. I woke up one morning, I think I saw 50 dick pics. Oh, and- my God. <laughs> Which I like to make a joke because at that point I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there talking to, like, my friends, my peer group, and I'm like, why do they do this? What bullshit method of calm and cap-ass form of calm is this? And also, what are they looking for in a response? Am I supposed to then turn around and be like, well, you know, the Russian judge might have given you an 8 on that dick, but I'm going to give you a 7.5. The the French judge behind, because I saw a dick earlier today. I just thought it was more of a 10. Yeah, I mean, What, you had a dick pic today? No, 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 no. I mean, in general, oh. like, like, I mean, like the whole, like, what are they doing? So, and sure, there's also like, People who will cross lines, people who will use social media as methods to be very cowardly. I've had a lot of really bad experiences, but I'd rather focus on the good. So let's focus on the good. So what's been the extreme positive? Women. When the women finally found me, that's when stuff got positive. Because there were a lot of women who were looking maybe for somebody to, to, to look to as a, if she can, I can. Mm-hmm. Or if she is strong enough, I am strong enough. I started talking to women who were cancer survivors, women going through very bad marriages, you know, women in challenging situations, women who just looked at me and thought, bitch, you're fierce. I love you and I love you. It's pretty brave. It's brave. You're chutzpah, you know, you know. And also It's definitely chutzpah. Chutzpah, yeah, man. I'm from Brooklyn. We got chutzpah. Look, I I'm a, I have a Jewish background. I know that word very well. I, oh, hey. <laughs> Lanceman, all right. You member of the tribe too. All right. So the thing is, it's like I know that, first of all, I tell everybody this. I'm like, if you really think that I was putting these photos up to delude you into thinking, look at me. I have the best body you've ever seen. I am the hottest. I mean, I, I do think I'm the hottest bitch on earth. But it's a dip, it's like David Lee Roth also thinking he's the greatest front man on earth. It's a different mindset. I am not here to delude anybody into being like, it's it's not look at my body. It's look at my th- it's look at look at all this. It's like when you looked at a, a poster of a band or a chick or a car, or, they were selling you an idea. They were selling you something bigger than what you were watching. They were giving you a world to immersify yourself into that gave you room to fantasize and be aspirational, and it was a way healthier way of life. So the message I'm always trying to tell people isn't look at my body. It's look at me and this world I'm creating. And also, yeah... This takes guts. Although the funny thing is that it, it, it took a lot more guts in the beginning and then I got so used to it. You, Here's what I will say, ladies. I mean, I would never do it in a million years. I'm too shy. You know what, though? I tell this to women. I'm like, sometimes exposure therapy, harsh as it can be, is the best because repetition makes everything easier. And believe me when I tell you, if you want to gain confidence fast, take pictures of yourself every day. You don't have to post them. You don't have to do what I do. I'm a ham. No, I'm the whole pig. Paul Stanley has that quote from Kiss. Some people are, are hams. I'm the whole pig. So I, 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 I already have a lot of, you know, ball weight, like, behind what I do anyway. That and so many things have happened to me that I've become immune to certain things. Do you feel really, like, emancipated when you do that and see the images afterwards? How do you feel that process of taking the pictures and then putting them on? I feel like every time I take one of those pictures, I tell some man, fuck you, you will not tell me what to fucking do with my goddamn Amen, sister. Yeah, I like that. That's what I feel. I feel like every time I do it, I tell a society that has made some determination that women only up to the age of X who are X tall and X weight and X color get to fucking be seen. That is some bullshit. And I I bless women like Rihanna who bless that woman because where everybody else is all, I stand for women. I stand. Fuck you. You don't if you're not. Rihanna stands for women. Why? Because Rihanna took her power and put it behind the industry where women are the most maligned. 
the fashion industry, the beauty industry. Mm, I totally agree with you. She comes along with her power. I mean, never mind the fact she's Rihanna. She's awesome. She's dope. She's got more style in a pinky toe than most got in their whole body. And she's talented and gorgeous beyond compare. We all know this. But, but, no vanity trips for Rihanna. Rihanna takes her power and... Then she says, I'm going to put this all behind women. And the first thing she says is, right, we're going to make foundation in more shades. And everybody's like, we're going to make foundations in more goddamn shades. So kind of what you're doing is, is um, it's looking like, at women's bodies in different shades. And, as- then, and then Fenty lingerie comes along. Oh, and I'm going to make the same lingerie for a size small to a 3X. Everything. All of it. And people probably telling her, it's going to cost too much. going to cost too much. And, and her probably like flipping the digit. And then to re she's, I, th- I think, I think Rihanna punk rock like we are. I think like she is. Because then she turns around and she's like, oh, by the way, not only will I have a makeup company that will sell as many freaking shades as exist in in nature as best as we can and and, and sizes for all women so that your grandma and, and 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 whoever can feel sexual and powerful then i'm going to have fashion shows that celebrate this line that look like rock concerts that do nothing but celebrate yoni i mean freaking i, I if you've seen them I mean, you can see, I think, the latest one. I think it's either on Amazon or Netflix. I mean, like, these are rock concerts. These are temples for women. These are devoted to women. Women So do you power. think of the way your social media is trying to create a temple for women in a way? Yes, and more importantly, oh, maybe in looking at me also, a different way to think about what that could mean. Because, you know, I know you. I've read that you're a real fan of Lizzo, and I think there's definitely some comparisons with what you're doing and she's doing. Come Does that on. make sense? The fact that Lizzo... Because she gives no fucks either. Oh, yeah. You know what? Very I'm, different people. And we're, we're very different people and we go about, and I'm going to say this, Lizzo, beating, if you can hear me say this too, the day you cried on social media when those assholes just, you know, because I know what it's like. Sure, you see enough, you know, you see enough bad over and over again. No matter how strong you are, it breaks you down. Well, Lizzo, I wish you'd come talk to me first because what would have happened is I'd have been your second and there would have been no crying, just punching. Broken noses, broken ribs. Nobody is going to tell me anything about Lizzo beating and not think I wouldn't challenge them to a bar fight. You know, if I may, I'd actually like to speak about Lizzo, the artistry, even more than her message. I think she's so wrapped up. In body positivity, and by the way, I hate the term body positivity. I'm going to say why in a minute. I don't like that term. It's so a can ba- we move the second love into Lizzo? Yeah. Can we say that we love Lizzo? You love Lizzo. Uh, who doesn't? If, if you don't love Lizzo, you don't love living. You don't have oxygen. I, I love Lizzo. But let's move. Let, so let's Lizzo, talk about Lizzo. Yeah, Lizzo. I mean, so like Lizzo is so wrapped up in this body positivity movement. I hate that term. And before I tell you why I love Lizzo, other than that, I'm going to tell you why I hate the term body positivity. Body positivity speaks nothing to the mentality of where we should graduate to. Body positivity sounds like a term that is congratulating people for not being assholes. Like, oh, wow, I can accept seeing a woman who is not a stick figure, who is not five foot ten and a size negative two. Ooh, yay me. Fuck you. No, what we need is normalization. We don't need positivity. We need positivity. What we need, even more than acceptance, is normalization. We need exposure therapy. That's why I'm not only women like Lizzo, but also women like Ashley Graham, women like Paloma, uh, a lesser women who are willing to stand up and, and, and do all of these things and, and, and keep fighting that good fight. But now, now that I've said all of that, in my opinion... Lizzo is the greatest talent we've had since Bette Midler. Because you remind me a bit of Bette Midler. Is that okay to say? Well, she's one of the greatest heroes. And there's something the way your you, your mannerisms and everything. Well, I'm, it, this might have yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not just the red hair, but there's something about you. And, the, and Bette Midler, the, the Jewish humor. Yeah, yeah. The sexual. Th- the thing is, well, Bette, Bette's one of my heroes. Okay, that will make sense now, yeah. In my opinion, Bette Midler might be in the top 20 greatest and most important artists ever to exist. Bette Midler has done the work more than almost any artist I can think of across the board that allows 
So the... Bette Midler at Lizzo, what's the connection there? So how... Bette Midler was the first to not give a fuck. Bette Midler right. was the first to step out there and say, you will not tell me, you will not define what it means to be a cabaret star, a recording artist. Uh, 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 you will not define me. I will define me. I will start in the gay bathhouses. I will not dress in any other way than the one I want. I will be filthy. I will be raw. I will be honest. I will laugh with you. I will make you cry. I will take you through. I will be zany and silly. And she always, always, always at the end with Bet, the ludicrousy of female life. Why else would she have done Clams on the Half Shell, where she's got that great view- version of Bugle Boy from Company B where they're all mermaids in wheelchairs? Bette Midler was making these commentaries long before. Now to Lizzo. The thing about Bette is that Bette is also a, what, a, a sex tuple threat? She can sing awesome. She is a great comedian. She is a great actress. She can dance. What can't she do? There's nothing she can't do. So I see someone like Lizzo, and I watch everybody focusing on one fucking thing. And all I'm focusing on is, this bitch is hilarious, plays the flute, and has one of the best voices I've ever heard in my whole life. And she can dance while playing the flute. And all I could think was, wait a minute, the flute thing, and the funny thing, and the dancing thing. Bet! I was like, oh my God, this is exactly like that. This is a woman who will not allow the world to define her. She will define herself, thank you very much. And she got the talent and the goods to back it all up. And then some. I think Lizzo is a miracle. I think Lizzo is a miracle. I want to see all the Lizzos. And by the way, you know, back in the day, artists like Nell Carter, artists like Ma Rainey. Oh, Ma Rainey. I'm going to go all the way back to this. I mean, like, there have always been these women Mm. who would not be defined. And they're the first to get criticized of people trying to take them down. they let Bessie Smith die. To, they let her bleed to death. Mm. They wouldn't take her to a hospital. There is nothing more punk rock than being the person willing to say, I'll take the first hit. I'll it's ta- also a form of resistance, isn't it? It's powerful. It's political. I believe that what I do, what Lizzo does, what Bit Midler does, what Wendy Williams did, what Karen O does, Shirley Manson, Debbie Harry, Susie Quattro, Joan Jett, Betty Davis. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm referring to Miles's ex, not the actress mm-hmm. with Betty Davis. Joyce Kennedy of Mother's Finest, Chaka Khan, Aretha Franklin. These people are more than what you think they are. These people were willing to take the first hit. They were willing to stand in the line of fire. It's kind of like that avant-garde. So Lizzie's quite, I mean, it is about being the avant-garde, isn't it? In the- of, pop- of popular culture, No. When I think of avant-garde, I think of women like Nina Hagen. I think of women like who, I think of like Laurie Anderson. Or, and by the way, same. I put them in the same trap. If you are a woman and you have ever done anything intellectually, physically, or otherwise that somebody assumed was not your place and you did it, you're my hero. Period. And I can see that's the, your inspirations, what you're doing with your image. Thank on, you. Yeah. I, it is to be political. I mean, for heaven's sake, now... Did I think it would work and I'd be celebrated? Because, I mean, as you can see, I'm kind of, there's a celebration of this. I got lucky. I got lucky. I think it's. What would you say to the haters, though, the people who would criticize? I don't have anything to say to those people. Karma will find them and take care of them. I don't have anything to say to haters. If you made an invest, because here's the thing. Well, first of all, here's what I'll say thank you. Because in hating me, you love me. You made an investment of passion. You're taking your time, and I'm making money with your investment of time. So thank you. <laughs> Very good response. That's that. exactly what I was saying to my haters. Uh, um, would you like to do a collaboration with Lizzo? Can you imagine how mind-brained that would be? Uh, oh, my God, I would kill and die. Oh, my God. Would you? Can you imagine? Yes. Oh, I can imagine it very you well. You need to do that. That's like... S- Lizzo, if you can hear me. You've got to put it out there. Oh, I, I would love to, I'd love to put... Well, first and foremost, I'd like to put it into the universe. I'm here to write songs. I'm here to sing them too. We all know I do a pretty, pretty decent job singing them. Um, I, I appreciate the celebration of myself as a vocalist, but I want to write great songs for everybody. There are so many artists right now I would really love to be writing songs for or with. 
And in the case of someone like Liz, oh my God, I mean, it would be like sky's the limit because she's such a great musician. She can play flute. So she, How many instruments can she play? I'm pretty sure she plays a few. I mean, she plays... Yeah. The, first of all, playing the flute, you got to have a... I mean, that's very Dolly Parton as well. I mean, there's something about her that's a bit like Dolly Parton too. Dolly Parton is the most punk-ass motherfucker yeah. in the world. Dolly Parton had the guts to turn around to Colonel Parker when Elvis Presley wanted to do an I Will Always Love You. Colonel Tom Parker comes along, Dolly says, Elvis wants to do your song. Dolly's all happy. Who wouldn't be right? And Dolly is not Dolly yet. You know, she's, she's on the way up. She's still working with Porter Wagoner at this point. And he said, but just so you know, you know, once Elvis does a song, that publishing, it's his song after that. And she turned around, she went over my fucking dead body. I don't care who that is. That's my song. She fought for her publishing. She stood down Porter Wagoner, who made leaving her show a living hell. I heard about that. I listened to the podcast, Dolly Parton's America. Which I, yeah, it's brilliant. That woman has been... F- and also, she did all of this in country music. So she's got, like, a real fundamentalist audience to convince about being her own. To me, when I think of great feminists, she's at the top of the pile. Lizzo's at the top of the pile. I see a very direct lineage between all of the women who, like I said, if you were willing to stand in the line of fire when somebody told you and you went, you will not tell me just, that. Just for the record, that was Amy giving the middle finger into the air. That was really good. You know, if you've ever been that person, you're my hero. And if I'm taking off my clothes and standing there and being celebrated, for being some sort of a makeshift sexual entity and I'm recognized as that, I promise anybody that listens to me, it was because of these women. It was because of these brave, brave people who inspired me and male rock stars. Another thing, ladies, rock and roll is good therapy for you. Meaning that if you don't want to take pictures of yourself every day like I do, just put on whatever rock really, really the most visceral thing you like, whether it's punk, whether it's indie, whatever it is, whether it's Van Halen, just put it on every day and pretend you're in that band and jump around your head. You house. need to tell me this because I, I can't, I've struggled to look at myself sometimes. I'm really critical of my body. So tell me what I can do. Well, first of all, I don't, know, I don't know what's your, you're a long drink of water with more style and your beautiful blue eyes. So I don't know what your problem is, but you're gorgeous. So but that's what women we're really self-critical, and I'm and I and I and I, I love really telling, wish I was like I you. love you know what I like doing. I like walking around and just telling women how beautiful they are. I do. Mm. I will remember once I was walking down Bedford Avenue in Brooklyn, which you know is has become like kind of crazy town but there's this gorgeous fashion model walk in my direction she's all tall gorgeous woman wearing this coat oh <laughs> what a coat she's wearing this fabulous coat and i noticed the coat and i'm a coat coveter and i walk past her and you know we make eye contact and i i'm not shy i tell people things i'm like hi i just wanted to tell you you're an absolutely stunning woman and god damn it i really love your coat I do things like that. It's lovely, isn't it? She stopped me and she went, oh my God, I was just going to tell you, you have the best hair and you're so beautiful and I love your boots. And then I went, well, I like your bag too. She goes, come think about it. I like your, I like your leather pants. <laughs> well, I, I, now you have two women. My friends are standing there waiting for me. To, you've got two women standing in the middle of Bedford Avenue. Basically, it's a tennis match now of compliments. So, and Hurling it's so much nicer than from men, isn't it? Well, yeah, because they're genuine. Mm. They don't have... Um, an ulterior motive, generally mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. Well, my ulterior motive is just to enable women to feel kick-ass. But what can you do? I'm telling you, whatever it is. Because I'm representing the women out there listening who might okay, feel women, like me, okay. who struggle to look now, at themselves. Now, if you now, okay, so naked. Let's, let's be okay. So here we go. If you, okay, women who struggle to look at themselves naked. First and foremost, I want you to look at my social media critically. Now, if you're looking at me, going, I don't know what you have to please, honey. Come on now. I jiggle and I wiggle. I'm not hard. I always tell people that if you love my body, it's nature, not nurture. I have scars everywhere from my surgeries. I show them on purpose. I love my scars. My scars are a living proof I didn't die. My jiggle and my wiggle is proof I did not die. I did not perish. Life could not take me out. So here is what I want you to do. I want you to, whatever it is in your life, 
whether it's music or a movie or something you know you're really good at. You know, let's say, okay, you're good at tennis. That's a good starting point. I'm bitch-ass at tennis. I can go out on a tennis court and whoop anybody. I want you to stand in the mirror naked holding your tennis racket and say, I could walk on this court naked and take you down, bitch. I could take down motherfucking McEnroe, bitch. I could do anything. I want you to stand there with your tennis racket and say, and, and hold it like Excalibur and say, with this tennis racket, I could take off heads and then let the power focus into you and then start to look at yourself differently. Why? Why can I go out there with my tennis racket like Excalibur? Oh, look at my arm. It's so strong. I worked it. I have a mean serve because I worked it. Yeah, and you know, come think of it. I look good holding this tennis racket all of a sudden. Look at this arm holding this tennis racket. I'm a champion holding this tennis racket. You, you know, come think of it. I like my shoulder. Now, stop looking at your body and thinking about what a man wants to see first and foremost. Start looking at your body about what you want to see. Only, only, only stop there. And by the way, I promise you, whatever your sexual proclivity, man or woman, you know what's real hot? You know what's real sexy? Believing in yourself. That is hot. That is sexy. Confidence. What? You think Steven Tyler has a perfect body? No. But he can take any bitch he wants and fuck her at any age. Why? Because he's sexy. And sexy does not come from your body. Sexy does not come from your physical form. Sexy comes from a power you manifest inside. If you are an amazing typist... You can type like a demon. Rub your typewriter naked. Rub it all over your body. Stand in front of your naked. <laughs> put your typewriter in front of your naked body and look at I'm yourself. I'm going to do that when I get home. I don't have a typewriter, but I'm going to go and get one. And then another, an, more. I could go on. So then stop looking at your body and thinking about what a man wants. Think only about what you want. Think about the things your body can do. Things about, think about how strong you are to get up every day of your life and suffer through being in the patriarchy. If you are a woman of color and I'm speaking to you directly, I apologize for this horrible shithole cesspool we live in. And white women need to do a better job in protecting and being not just allies. Fuck allies. We need to be vigilantes. We need to be Charles Bronson in Death Wish if we see anything coming in your direction negatively. And take it down and take it out of the fucking goddamn... Pool of existence. So, women, you have to stand there and think about what you love about you when you look at you. And if you are a person who hasn't found that yet, then I want you to know that the only reason you haven't is you're still thinking the wrong way. You are still thinking about what somebody else's expectations are. You're still thinking about your mother. Don't go out of the house looking like that. You're still thinking about a boy or a man. Instead of you, it all starts and ends with you. And by the way, rock and roll teaches you that. Rock and roll is about self-invention. It's why I've wanted to always be a rock star, not a pop star. Even though I write pop music and I, you know, I made a pop album, with, and, and for all intents and purposes, I'm a pop singer. But pop culture dictates the work of other people imposing their ideas of image upon you. And rock and roll is about self-invention. Freddie Mercury and his big-ass teeth is the most beautiful, glorious creature that ever walked. It's charisma as well. It's all of that. It's someone, balls. Yeah. It's having the decency to say, I am, a, I am a creature of my own invention. You know what, Amy? You are an amazing creature of your own invention. And I'm really sad to say we have to wrap this up. No, oh, ma'am. And I really wish we didn't. And we didn't even get to talk about the rest of your loves that I really wanted us to I, get to. I can do that really quickly. I would, uh, <laughs> Led Zeppelin. What, what? Led Zeppelin, our religion. Without them, even like the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, whiskey, sex, great writers, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Bob Dylan, women of color, the end of all isms. And I don't just mean, that doesn't just mean, not with just talk, with action. We do this with action. We take the bastards down that want to make any woman feel smaller than and if you look at my social media and you go that woman is freaking crazy good i am freaking crazy but at the end of the day i can live with that crazy
Well, you know what? I'm glad you are crazy if that's what you are. I think I I feel really moved by our conversation. I feel very inspired. Thank you. As well. I and like I actually have like slight tears in my eyes from feeling Aww. quite emotional from hearing you talk, which I didn't expect was going to happen today. Oh, thank you. But, I, I, um, I, I, it's I been an that. absolute joy having you here today. And fucking good luck with the album. You're a fucking rock star. <laughs> You're a fucking rock star, Lulu. Lulu Where Lulu. love lives. Hey. Thank L- you for coming. You the rock star, Lulu Lulu. You're the one. Believe me. Thank you for having me. It's been on talking to you today, for real. And by the way, your leather skirt is just everything. Ve- ve- vegan leather. <laughs> Where love lives. Follow me down. Deep down. Where love lives. Oh my God, that's so good. Thank you so wow. much for having me. You really are like so inspirational. No, That's thank great. you. I really appreciate it. I would argue so are you. No, really? Like... Yes, really. You've been listening to Where Love Lives with me, Lulu LeVay. My guest has been rock star disco diva, Amy Douglas. The self-titled album Hard Feelings is out now. This podcast was recorded at the Slick Studios at Soho Radio in London and was edited and produced by me. Do follow me. Please come and say hello at Dr. Lulu LeVay. Remember, subscribe, like, comment, all that jazz, share with your friends. And remember, I love you. 